Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today in Rank Amateur we will be going over everybody's favorite tier 6 cruiser, the tier 6 tech tree US Navy heavy cruiser, USS Pensacola. But as per usual, we'll be going over the World of Warships news that has occurred between the last episode and this episode. So the biggest change in World of Warships uh, that's happened since the uh, CV rework has been the Commander rework, which completely reworked the Commander skills of uh, World of Warships, which is a huge portion of the gameplay in World of Warships, or at least the setup to the gameplay in World of Warships. Um, and has had a lot of people screaming bloody murder. But before we get into the exact impact that it has had on the game, let's just go through some of the other changes that happened in the update. And there's a, there's a few of them, uh, mostly just technicals. So they uh, fixed issues with main battery, uh, Shikishima's main battery guns not being heard from very far away. Uh, they applied fixes to the geometry and textures of the ships, uh, Kabarask, Chikuma, Anchorage, Saipan, Gallant, Alsace, Bulgoin, and HSF Harakazi. Updated the icons for main battery reload booster, torpedo reload booster, and rapid takeoff spotter consumables, as well as upgrades to them, changed the interface for carrier armaments and ports. Uh, they also changed the reticles for torpedo bombers, depending on the number of um, attack aircraft in the flight. Um, you can skip the animation after uh, the last flight in a squadron has dropped their torpedoes or their armaments by pressing F, and that allows you to go back to the carrier more quickly. Uh, they fixed an issue where uh, when a squadron took off, all the aircraft models would just suddenly disappear uh, on the deck of the aircraft carrier, and now they're, uh, there's a more smooth animation, according to them, uh, in the place of that. And... Uh, the message about uh, return of a squadron to a carrier has been removed, so a lot of these have to deal with carriers. Uh, they fixed an error that caused the information about damage sustained by an aircraft carrier to be displayed incorrectly. Fixed an error that caused aircraft carrier icons to be displayed on the minimap incorrectly. Fixed an error that caused the aircraft and catapults to be displayed incorrectly. And also fixed an error that caused the autopilot to plot an incorrect course. Uh, yeah, that's kind of been a huge issue, at least for me. I've had autopilots be doing very stupid stuff. Um and plotting very strange courses uh so hopefully that f fixes my issues on my ranger i only have one aircraft carrier because i'm not a cv main uh they also fixed an error that caused vermont's which is the tier 10 american uh battleship it's the new one uh anti-torpedo bulges to knock over her ends fixed an error that caused the improved re repair party to be featured to be displayed for the kansas uh minnesota and vermont uh, fixed an error that caused a reload time not to be displayed on the torpedo armament icon, which I actually have had uh, that issue. Uh, fixed an error where the game client crashed while pressing enter on the promo screen. Fixed an error that caused the game, the game client to crash while loading a map. Fixed an error that caused the shell travel time to be displayed in the interface uh, to remain the same when changing shell type. Fixed an error that resulted in the Tier 8 American carrier Saipan, or Saipan, I forget how to pronounce it, having 40mm Bokers Mark 1 guns instead of 40mm Bokers Mark 2 anti-aircraft guns. Uh, the continuous AA damage has been increased by 4 units per second. 
Uh, fixed an error that caused the chat window to remain active after pressing enter. Fixed an error that caused the previous squadron's attack time to be displayed while launching a new squadron from Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, fixed an error that caused uh, that or th prevented the light bulbs and main battery guns from moving together with the barrels on the tier eight British heavy cruiser Abramal in the New Year camouflage. So that's that camo uh, permanent camouflage that has the light bulbs and. Um, like Christmas lights on the barrels of the guns. Uh, fixed an error that prevented the tier eight Pan, uh, Pan American cruiser Nuevo de Julio's uh, guns from moving, which uh, that would be a big problem. Uh, fixed an issue that in certain cases made it impossible to fire with reloaded main battery guns, which is always a very bad issue. Uh, you can't fire your main battery guns, especially in the battleship. That is a uh, major issue that I'm glad to hear was fixed. Fixed an issue that caused main battery reload indicators to be displayed incorrectly. And updated the port camera position for the port New York. So lots of different um, changes on the technical side. I went over in my last episode all the changes that they're going to be introducing for 10.0. Except for the fact that they're uh, introducing some new Pan-Asian uh, ships that are like... Uh, they're kind of like the Baje, I think. Um, which was uh, Ismo that was like... That was essentially just Pan-Asian with a different name slapped on it and a special camouflage and stuff. So they've uh, introduced a few more of those ships. Uh, they have a Wujing, which is uh, Pan-Asian Alsace. And it's named after a god, I think? I'm not sure... They have the San Zing, which is a Saipan, uh, Pan-Asian. And they have the Wukong, which is a... I actually don't know. I think that's just a rebranded Soviet cruiser. But they also introduced a uh, what's called the Fen Yang, which is an actual ship that existed. Now, um, it was an Akatsuki-class destroyer built for the Imperial Japanese Navy, then transferred to the People's Republic of China Navy in 1947 as like a like a compensation for the damage that they've caused in the war. Uh, it's interesting because it's kind of like the, what is it, the Asashio, that has um, deep water torpedoes that can only hit battleships and aircraft carriers and will sail right underneath the keels of cruisers and destroyers. But it's got those rapid-fire Akatsuki guns, but it does not, it does not have that improved penetration mechanic that the Akatsuki class has, which is interesting. So you can't pen anything, but it's got a really good fire chance and pretty good armor-piercing ammunition, so... Uh, ammunition shell choice is going to be really uh, critical in this ship. Uh, it's also being sold as part of an Emerald pack for, I think, 80 bucks or something like that. But it's got this really, really neat um, uh, like permanent camouflage, the alternate permanent camouflage. It's got like a dragon on the side and it glows. I actually might pick that up because that just looks so cool. I mean, it's really, really expensive, but it looks really cool. <laughs> um, anyways... That is it for the 10.0 uh, new stuff. Let's start with the um, now the, the specific commander skills and how that's uh, had an effect on, uh, the, I guess, the game. And so there's a lot of content creators and forums people and just everybody is complaining about uh, a few things, and that is the, uh, the skill Deadeye is the biggest complaint that most people have. And that is a skill that busts the main battery gun's accuracy of all battleships by 10%, assuming there is no one in your base detection range. 
which is code for if you stay way back in the back of the map, you'll have a 10% increase in the accuracy of your main battery guns, which gives you basically cruiser-level accuracy and allows you to slap things from 20 kilometers away. I've heard stories of people getting one-shotted from full health to no health by a, cl uh, by a thunderer that was 25 kilometers away, or upwards of 25 kilometers. Um, yeah, I agree that's not very great, although I have personally not had too, too many issues with that. Um... And I don't, other than ships like the Thunderer, I think the ships like the Thunderer should have their main battery accuracy nerfed, but I guess that's pretty much what everybody thinks. Um, I I personally think that it's not super bad at skill, because there's always been issues with people in things like Gneisnows and uh, Colorados and stuff, staying way back at the back of the map and just sniping and not hitting anything. And essentially what this resolves, or what this skill provides them, is a way to actually snipe accurately. And in my opinion, people who are going to push in a battleship are going to push in a battleship, whether there's a skill that allows them to sit in the back of the map uh, and farm damage and do close to nothing. Um, I think it's just going to make those people who are just going to sit back there, no matter what, if there's a skill that... Uh, buffs it, or if there's no skill that buffs it, and it's just a really bad idea, there's people that are going to do it or regardless. So may as well make them good at it, is what I think. Now, I know there's been people who have been one-shotted by battleships that they really can't even see, that are outside of their view range in some cases, and yeah, that, that needs to be fixed. I almost think that the uh, detection range of the battleships who are who have this skill enabled should uh, should be nerfed, so you shouldn't have to take a penalty for that. Like maybe it's like a twenty percent penalty to your detection range, so it makes it even harder to use the skill or something like that. Um, I don't know if that would solve the issue, but that's basically what they did to cruisers. So you can get a ton of uh, commander skills to upgrade the cruiser's DPM at the cost of concealment, which people are really really mad about. It's like you. You, your concealment's really bad, but you have good DPM. It shouldn't be a penalty that you have to take. And I personally think that it doesn't. That uh, it's a really good move by Wargaming, because the ships that are benefiting from this are the ships that have terrible concealment. Anyways, you look at the Stalingrad. Yes, there's a meme build for the Stalingrad that will get you a detection range of 20 kilometers. Yeah, there are maps in World of Warships that aren't that big, and the main battery gun range will be like I think it's 20.4 kilometers or. Yeah, 20.4 or 22.4, something like that. But, like, a massive, massive uh, detection range. And it doesn't really matter, because the Stalingrad already had a really bad detection range. May as well make it worse at, and get your guns to perform better. I mean, the Stalingrad was not going to outspot hardly anything. I mean, there's a lot of battleships that will face, uh, looking squarely at you, North Carolina, that will outspot it by more than 6 kilometers. So... It doesn't really matter. Now, uh, cruisers like... I feel like cruisers like the British cruiser should have gotten a buff in the same way. Like, maybe there's a concealment buff that they can take more concealment skills, but at the cost of DPM or reload time or something like that, which would be really interesting if you could have a cruiser that could be spotted at a range of, like, 6 kilometers but had a reload time of 10 seconds or something like that. Like, a really large destroyer, essentially, at that point which would make it very interesting. Because uh, I know my Perth, 
I do love the Perth. I have it. I bought it, and I have not regretted it. With concealment, experts can get its detectability range down to 8.82 kilometers. And mind you, this thing has 8-kilometer range torpedoes, which means it can, in certain situations, stealth fire its torpedoes. And be like, no, it can't stealth fire its torpedoes. What are you saying, Jane? Well, when a ship is coming towards you, let's say you're in a smoke screen or you're kiting away, and they're coming towards you, your effective range of your torpedoes is more like 9 kilometers, which means you can, in fact, stealth fire them. Because what happens is... The torpedoes have an 8-kilometer range from where you launch them, and if a ship is coming towards you, let's say, at 30 knots, it's coming towards you at 30 knots, it will be much closer than 8 kilometers if it's 9.5 or sometimes even 10 kilometers out. It'll come into that 8-kilometer torpedo range and hit your torpedoes before they run out of steam, assuming the torpedoes are aimed well. So, uh... Yeah, the Perth is a very, very sneaky ship. Uh, I believe it will even, I mean, not that it would face the Kabarovsk, but it would outspot the Kabarovsk, and the Kabarovsk is a Russian destroyer. Uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, anyways, back to the Commander uh, rework. If you don't totally have to sacrifice concealment that much for DPM, but if you really want to go that full DPM build, you're going to have to um, sacrifice concealment, so things like the British cruisers should really not take that much of a DPM build, like maybe like one or two skills that don't really nerf their concealment too much, but uh, concealment's kind of the main thing for the British cruisers. I mean, the Minotaur can be spotted at a range of 9.2 kilometers with full concealment build, which is crazy. And destroyers, well, destroyers basically got skills... That some people are saying you either build for torpedo boat or you either build for gunboat, which means that ships like the Daring and the Gearing have absolutely gotten the nerf hammer uh, hit to them really hard because they can't choose a bit of both. And I kind of, I mean, yes, can you go full gunboat and full torpedo boat at the same time? No, you can't. There's just not enough skill points for that. But you can take a bit of both and be particularly good in or be good in torpedoes and good at guns, but maybe not like Kabarask level or Shimikaze level in either um, category. So it really depends on how you look at it. I look at this rework from more of a positive perspective. I tend to take things and changes and, I guess, look at them from the best... Uh, I guess, look at them from an optimistic standpoint. And I see this update as a great thing for the game because... Uh, it provides more intense gameplay for cruisers, which sometimes wasn't as exciting, especially cruisers like the Yoshino and Stalingrad. And it provides more exciting uh, gameplay for some destroyers because you're either full torpedo boat, which means if you get caught with your pants down by a gunboat, it can be really scary and hair-raising and get your adrenaline really going. Uh, same with the gunboats. The gunboats, if you're being shot at by a light cruiser and it's just that all-out knife fight sort of thing, that can be really, um, really exciting. The only bad thing I see is this Deadeye skill. I don't know why they introduced it, um, because ships like the Thunderer didn't need to be buffed at all. They already were way too accurate, and now they're 10% more accurate. So uh, I have a feeling that skill might get nerfed down to like 7% or 5%, where it's like, yeah, it's a buff, but it's not like... Like, it's nice for the start of the game, but it's not, like, something that you use uh, throughout the whole game. I hope that happens. But other than that, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually quite happy with the way the updates happened. And I know people are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. Let's agree to disagree. I, I personally like it, but you don't have to. Also, can I say that this updated Dragon Port looks really, really cool? 
like that's one of my favorite parts of the update is the fact that this dragon port got updated because it hadn't been updated since the introduction of the pan-asian destroyers way back in 2018 i think i think it was 2018 but uh it looks really cool with the glowing dragon and the fireworks and the dragons flying through the sky i i really like it uh that's gonna be my new port i like the fjords port but now i like this dragon port better other news, I guess I forgot to mention in the update 10.0.0 is the fact that you can now win the Tier 6 uh, Premium uh, Pan-Asian Destroyer Anshan, and uh, that's going to be through some missions that you can complete. They seem to be fairly easy missions. Some of them are uh, a little harder than others, but I don't think anything's particularly difficult. There's just a lot of missions you have to complete. And the Anshan... Uh, I personally don't have any experience with the Anshan, but I have experience with the Fushun, and the Fushun is an excellent Tier 6 destroyer. It's an excellent ship. I really like its torpedoes, and I also really like its guns. The only bad thing about it is um, the fact that the guns have really bad turret the first time, but that's because it's uh, actually a Genevni-class destroyer. Uh, and the Anshan-class uh, destroyers, which consisted of the Anshan, the Fushun, and the two others, I forget their names, were actually Genevni-class destroyers that were sold to the People's Republic of China, um, after their revolution was successful for, I think, 18 tons of gold. Uh, so they do have, they're basically Russians. They have good armor piercing. Um, they have pretty good high explosive, really good shell flight times. Uh, the, the torpedoes are deep waters as typical for the, uh, Pan-Asian destroyers. They do have an eight kilometer range and the detectability of these ships i think is 6.8 without concealment expert because at this time at the time that i went through these ships i did not have concealment expert on my captain um i really enjoyed the ship they're really really fast i think or not really really fast but decently fast they can speed flag i think they can go 38 or 39 knots in a straight line and uh with this engine boost they can go over 40 which makes you a hard target to hit and they're accurate too uh, but th I think I'll be or I will be participating in that because why not? And also offer some other rewards like you can get some uh, those uh, Lunar New Year containers and the Journey to the West containers. The Journey to the West containers can contain one of those four um, uh, the premium ships that I talked about earlier with the uh, like the Wukong, the, the Shanzang, and the Wujing. And since there's only four ships they can drop, there's a very high chance that you'll get ships and multiple ships. I remember someone. On uh, YouTube, opened uh, I think ten containers and got all four ships, which is a little bit on the rare side. But you're pretty much guaranteed to get at least two ships uh, if you so were were to purchase the containers, which I don't necessarily recommend. Even though they they're better than those um, the winter or the Santa containers, they're far better than those. But they're also uh, they're also still a bit of a gamble. Um, in other news, there is a new season of Clan Brawls. It looks like. Um, and the first one is going to go from the 27th of January, 2021 to the 1st of February. And it's going to be tier eight with, uh, only surface ships, no aircraft carriers, and there can be no more than two battleships per team. Uh, and there's going to be, it's going to be a seven on seven, by the way. And there's going to be a second one, which is going to be the 10th of February to the 15th of February. That's going to be a tier 10. Uh, there's no more than two battleships per team, uh, no aircraft carriers, and that's also a 7v7. So uh, if you are interested in that, if your clan's interested in doing that, I suggest you go onto a website and look at that. Um, uh, and that is pretty much it. There is a way to get the new Italian battleship Dante Alighieri, 
like Yuri, I don't know, that tier four thing. Um, this ship is actually the basis of the design for the uh, Gangit class battleships. Uh, and you can see that they are very, very similar to the Gangit class battleships and thus the Octoboreskaya Revolucia class battleships. Uh, this is for Prime Gaming uh, members and it's just a reward for that. Um, uh, and you can do that by creating a Prime Gaming account, link your World of Warships accounts, and click the crown icon, and then click claim now, and then you can uh, redeem your items by logging into the game. That's getting you exclusive access to that ship. Um, and that is pretty much it. There's a new session, uh, or a new set of uh, combat missions. Um, it's the Battle of Ronell Island, and... There's also a new recruiting station mission, which they run every once in a while to try and get new players into the game. Um, and you can win, or you if you recruit someone, you get 20 bucks actually, which is pretty pretty generous. Um, and then you can win, I think, up to $15,000, something like that. That's uh, in U.S. dollars. And uh, so if you want to do that, if there's a friend interested in the game, you can have that. Unfortunately, my friend joined the game. When there was no recruiting station mission available, so that was uh, kind of a bummer. But uh, if you have a friend that's interested in the game, I recommend checking that out. And now on to listener mail. And we actually do have one email. And that is from the YouTuber MSG2007. Uh, he's a small YouTuber, actually, that does World of Warships. I highly recommend uh, checking him out. It's a nice uh, thing to do to support a small YouTube channel. Um, and he is requesting that I do a review on the Pensacola, which is where this episode comes from. Uh, Pensacola being not a particularly good ship, but definitely one that's worth going over. Um, he says that I stumbled across uh, on your podcast, and I love it, and thank you for listening, MSG2007. I really appreciate your listenership. But that's about it for the listener mail and... World of Warships news section of this episode. We will be going on to the historical section of this episode on USS Pensacola right after the break. And welcome back to Rank Amateur. Right now, we are just about to go over the history section of this episode on USS Pensacola. And believe me, the history section of this episode is far more interesting than what she is in World of Warships. So, without further ado, let's get into the general specifications of the ship. So, she is named after the city of Pensacola, Florida, which, for those of you who don't live in the United States, is a city on the uh, coast of the Gulf of Mexico uh, in the United States. Uh, actually home to major Navy bases and uh, things like that for the uh, U.S. Navy. Anyways, uh, she was ordered on December 18th, 1924, awarded on March 7th, 1925, um, and further awarded on July 9th, 1926. Um, she was built in New York Navy Yard in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, she had a cost of $11 million in 1926. So that's a, uh, that's a lot of money. Precisely, that's about 163348101 dollars and sixty nine cents, and that is in uh, U.S. dollars, by the way. So yeah, she was a little bit pricey, but not too bad for a warship, uh, especially a heavy cruiser. She was laid down on October twenty seventh, nineteen twenty six, launched on April twenty fifth, nineteen twenty nine, and completed on July 9th, nineteen twenty nine. She was commissioned on February sixth, nineteen thirty. And uh, she actually had a few nicknames. Uh, the most notable one of them was Grey Ghost. Uh, she had the hull number CL24. 
or uh, CL24, and then uh, it was later changed to CA24. She was originally going to be classified as a light cruiser due to her armor configuration, but it was changed to heavy cruiser because she does carry 8-inch guns, or 203 millimeter for you who use the metric system. So she had a displacement of 9,100 long tons standard, and she had a length of 585 feet 6 inches, or 178.46 meters overall, and 558 feet, or 178 meters at the waterline. Uh, she had a beam of 65 feet 3 inches, or 19.89 uh, meters, and that's how wide the ship is. Uh, she had a draft of 16 feet 2 inches, um, or 4.93 meters, uh, average and the maximum draft she had was 22 feet or 6.7 meters uh, and that was max she had an installed power of two white foster boiler or forster boilers excuse me and that's because uh, white white forster boilers are uh, more compact than other boilers and provide more horsepower i believe they're a little bit more expensive than other boilers though and that was generating a total of 107,000 shaft horsepower um and just to compare that, the USS Arizona had 32,000 shaft horsepower, so this thing was a lot more powerful than uh, USS Arizona. She had a propulsion system that consisted of four partial reduction steam turbines and four screws, so four propellers. Uh, she had a design speed of 32.7 knots. She had a range of 10,000 nautical miles at 15 knots, and she had a capacity of 1,500 short tons of fuel oil. I believe that's 1,400 tons, or long tons, of uh, fuel oil. Uh, she had a complement of 85 officers and 445 enlisted. Uh, she had a CXAM radar, which is uh, one of the uh, first production radar systems that the United States used, and that was uh, installed on her in 1940, just before the war broke out. This is just kind of the standard uh, surface search radar, I believe, that was um, uh, used on pretty much all U.S. Navy ships in World War II. You can see it on pretty much all the models of the ships in uh, World of Warships, or specifically U.S. Navy ships, especially capital ships. Um, it was put on the model of USS Arizona in World of Warships, although the USS Arizona never carried radar or that type of radar because uh, she was going to have it put on her in a 1942 refit, but the she was sunk before that happened, so she didn't get a chance to get her radar. Uh, so the armament consisted of 10 8-inch or 203mm 55 caliber guns, and uh, these were arranged in a rather unusual arrangement. So you had two guns that had three, or two turrets that had three guns each, and then two turrets that had two guns each. Um, and there's a reason for that, and I'll go over that later. Uh, she had eight 5-inch or 127mm uh, anti-aircraft guns. She had three, four, uh, two 3-pounder 47mm or 1.9-inch uh, saluting guns, so pretty much... Uh, they were fixed in position and just used for, like, ceremonial services. Um, and she actually did mount six 533mm torpedo tubes. Yes, those of you who uh, play World of Warships, the Pensacola should have been one of the cruisers in World of Warships, or one of the U.S. Navy cruisers in World of Warships that did carry torpedoes. However, they do not have her carrying torpedoes because uh, those torpedoes were removed in a later refit, maybe like 1940. I'm not totally sure when they were removed, but the the models of uh, USS Pensacola in World of Warships are of the ref uh, of the later refits where she did not carry torpedoes. 
and she had very, very limited armor. It was only armor that was supposed to stop destroyer, uh, destroyer caliber guns. So you're talking about like 127 millimeter guns, not the 152 millimeter guns of light cruisers, or the two or three mils of heavy cruisers. Or uh, yeah, these def this armor is definitely not going to stop battleship caliber shells. We're not even going to talk about that. Um, so the belt armor was two and a half to four inches thick, or 64 to 102 millimeters thick. The deck had one to one and three quarters inches of armor, or 25 to 44 millimeters. The turret barbettes, the turret barbettes, which, which have the ammunition hoists inside of them, had only two and a half inches of armor maximum. So it was three quarters to two and a half, or 19 to 64 millimeters armor, which is not that much armor. The conning tower only had one and a quarter inches of armor, or 32 millimeters of armor. She carried four float planes and had two amidship catapults, which is pretty typical of the design for a uh, interwar U.S. cruiser. In the wartime-built uh, U.S. cruisers, they typically had their uh, aircraft catapults on the aft section of the ship, but you can see in the, with the USS New Orleans and the USS Pensacola and the USS Omaha, that they have uh, their catapults uh, in the center of the ship, which is typical, as I said, of interwar uh, U.S. cruisers. Um, in 1942, uh, she had a refit conducted where there was more anti-aircraft guns that were added, um, notably uh, eight single Orlikin cannons. Uh, and in 1945, or by 1945, she had accumulated a total of seven quad 40-millimeter Bofors guns, and nine twin 20 millimeter Orlikin cannons. So yeah, I mean she didn't have as much anti-aircraft defenses like a New Orleans or Baltimore did, but she uh, could definitely pack a punch. But let's go over the design of the ship. So it's no secret to most people who play World of Warships that this ship is terribly armored. It's actually armored worse than most light cruisers are, because most light cruisers have armor to resist uh, 152 millimeter guns, or at least. Some of them do, obviously. This thing can only resist, uh, it was only basically immune to 127mm guns in real life, and it wasn't even immune to them past 8,000 yards, or 7.3 kilometers. So if you shot at this thing for, from a distance further than 7.3 kilometers, you could pen it pretty much everywhere with a 127mm uh, armor-piercing ammunition. And this was uh, so that the ships were maintaining the below... Uh, 9,100, or no, below 10,000 ton uh, limit for, that was imposed by the Washington Naval Treaty, which was just to prevent a naval's arm race, which didn't work because then you have the Japanese building ships like the Yamato, and you have the French building ships like the Eagle, which are just way past what they should be, according to the Washington Naval Treaty. So the U.S. Navy and the British Royal Navy were only punishing themselves by creating ships that applied to the treaty. Anyways, but they had a speed of 32 knots, which was really kind of moderate for a cruiser. A lot of cruisers could go faster than that, most notably the French and Japanese cruisers. Um, and they had an unusual gun arrangement, as I've alluded to before. And the reason for that is because they have a fairly low forecastle to save on weight. Um, so that means that the forward turret is going to have or the lower turrets, are going to get more water that splashes up on them, making them harder to use. So the U.S. Navy's train of thought was, oh, well, we'll make sure that the most amount of guns are higher up over the, or super firing over the lower ones, so that means that they're not going to get as wet so that we can use them more often. So that way, we're only missing out on four of our guns rather than missing out of our six, 
missing out on six of our guns because they're too wet. Also, the designers decided to save some weight on the ship by uh, creating what's called a flush deck tall, which means if you look at the silhouette of the USS Pensacola, you can see that the hull is at basically the same level all the way along from the forecastle to the uh, fantail of the ship. It's just pretty much just one deck is like the main deck. Um, and that saved them a bunch of weight, and they were able to make a ship that weighed in at only uh, 9,100 tons, and that was well under the limits of the 10,000 ton uh, limit for the 8-inch gun-armed cruiser. And this class, the Pensacola class, which consisted of the Pensacola and the Salt Lake City, would later evolve into the Northampton class, which consisted of uh, five more ships, and then those ships were just better armored and had an improved gun layout. They sacrificed one gun uh, for, to have three triple turrets rather than this weird arrangement that's on the Pensacola. Uh, and they therefore had more space to put armor, and they could resist uh, destroyer gunfire beyond 8,000 yards or 7.3 kilometers. And uh, these both these ship classes, so the Pensacola and the Northampton class, had issues with uh, instabilities. Uh, in their gun platforms, and that essentially means that in heavy seas, or even in some light seas, it's hard to maintain a stable gun platform just due to the weight distribution, so it's hard to aim the guns, meaning that they're less accurate than they should be. So this was rectified with the Portland-class uh, cruisers, which consisted of the Portland and the ever-so-famous Indianapolis, which is also in World of Warships, but the armor... And the armor issue was not resolved with those ships either. They still had very, very uh, limited amount of armor. But they, too, did have more armor than the Northampton and Pensacola classes. Not that much armor, though. Not There wasn't a significant amount of armor improvement. But there was a significant amount of improvement in the fire control directors, which is basically telling where the guns should shoot. And uh, meant that the uh, Portland-class cruisers were much more accurate. Also, I screwed up on the boiler arrangement. There's only eight boilers in the Pensacola-class uh, cruisers, not 12. They were originally going to have seven boilers, but um, uh, they decided to uh, go with eight boilers just to get a little bit of more of a faster speed on the ships. However, uh, that was a typo in my show notes. But now, let's go on to the history of USS Pensacola. So, USS Pensacola had a fairly boring interwar period, mostly just consisting of uh, fleet problems, which uh, fleet problems are just giant training scenarios where they have a bunch of ships that like pretend to shoot at each other and then see what goes right, what goes wrong, and how they can pr improve on it. So, just kind of uh, a very expensive, very large uh, World of Warships battle, actually. That's kind of what it is, is uh, ex except they're not sinking ships. They're just like oh, well, we would have hit you here because you messed up here, so you got to improve on that, or something like that. Um, and she was originally designated CL-24, as I said before, but she was uh, redesignated CA-24 in accordance with the provisions of the Washington, or the London Naval Treaty, not the Washington, the London Naval Treaty of 1930, which basically just said that any ship that's armed with 8-inch guns uh, and is armored like a cruiser shall be considered a heavy cruiser, uh, no matter what armor it has as long as it doesn't have, like, battleship-caliber armor. So, even though it was really a light cruiser, 
it it really is a light cruiser USS Pensacola, but it was classified as a heavy cruiser, which is why it's uh, in the heavy cruiser uh, section of the uh, U.S. cruiser branch in World of Warships. So now we go to the wartime history of USS Pensacola. So Pensacola first departed Pearl Harbor on November 29th, 1941, which was just before the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, with the so-called Pensacola Convoy, which was bound for Melania in the Philippines. And after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the convoy was diverted to Australia, with, uh, specifically Brisbane. Um, and that's because the Philippines was basically being overrun by the Japanese, and uh, the U.S. Navy was like, well, let's not send a convoy there and get them all captured or sunk by the Japanese. And Australia was like, yeah, we could use the supplies. So they uh, were sent to Brisbane Harbor, and Brisbane is in uh, Queensland, or Queensland. Uh, which is in the northeastern portion of Australia. Uh, she returned to Pearl Harbor on January 19th, 1942, and was put to sea on February 5th, 1942, to patrol the approaches to the uh, Samoan Islands. And on February 17th, 1942, she rendezvoused off Samoa with the Carrier Task Force 11, and that was centered around the USS Lexington. Near Borg or Bougainville Island, uh, USS Pensacola and the task force were attacked by a wave of, or by two waves of Japanese bombers on February 20th, 1942. Uh, no ships were damaged in anti-aircraft fire and with a combination of uh, USS Lexington's combat air patrol planes shot down 17 of the 18 fighters or uh, bombers rather. Um, and the Pensacola continued to help guard USS Lexington on offensive patrol in the Coral Sea until USS Yorktown joined the task force on March 6th. The American ships then steamed for the Gulf of Papua, uh, where on March 10th, USS Lexington launched planes for a surprise strike on the Owen Stanley Mount or over the Owen Stanley Mountains, and this was intended to uh, attack Japanese shipping uh, at Salamaw and Leh. Uh, and this was actually a complete surprise like it was supposed to be, and heavy damage was sustained by those installations uh, on that location. So then the task force then turned to uh, New Caledonia uh, to replenish their supplies. Pensacola patrolled with Yorktown's task force until April 8th, then headed via Samoa for Pearl Harbor, where she arrived on April 21st. Uh, she carried the Marine Fighting Squadron uh, 212, I'm assuming just the pilots and not the planes, to the New Herbrides. Uh, which is a French island, or French islands, uh, so it's an archipelago. And then she returned to Pearl Harbor with the Enterprise on May 26th. USS Pensacola then departed Pearl Harbor on May 28th with the Enterprise, a task force for rendezvous on June 2nd northeast of Midway with the units of Task Force 17. Two days later, the Japanese Armada came in within range of the American carriers and the Battle of Midway commenced. Yes, the USS Pensacola did participate in the Battle of Midway, although... Mostly just shooting down stuff and not, like, actually shooting at uh, other ships. Admiral Sperance's uh, torpedo planes and dive bombers attacked the Japanese carriers, which resulted in Akagi, Kaga, and Soryu. Uh, well, actually, Akagi and Kaga went up in flames, and then Soryu was uh, very badly damaged, although the fourth enemy carrier, the Hiryu, was very much still at large and launched strikes on Yorktown, and uh, that damaged the Yorktown a bit, and... The American carriers then struck back, leaving the enemy carrier hit many times in a mass of flames. However, USS Yorktown, which had been hit by three bombs, 
was struggling to remain afloat. Pensacola raced from the Enterprise's screen, so raced from protecting the Enterprise uh, to aid the USS Yorktown. While trying to assist the Yorktown, uh, USS Pensacola was struck with a torpedo and hit in the galley. The Yorktown was dead in the water when the Pensacola arrived, and the cruiser assisted in shooting down four enemy torpedo bombers to... Uh, repel a second attack, which very may well have sunk the USS Yorktown then and there. Although the USS Pensacola and her crew tried very hard to save the USS Yorktown, the USS Yorktown received two torpedo hits amidships and had to be abandoned and sunk. However, the battle was not over yet for USS Pensacola, as she returned to help screen the USS Enterprise and pursue the retiring Japanese in the battle. She returned to Pearl Harbor on the 13th of June with USS Enterprise and then put to sea again on the 22nd of June, carrying 1,157 Marines of Marine Aircraft Group 22, or MAG-22, to Midway. She then patrolled and trained in Hawaiian waters until August 7th. As the Marines stormed the shores of Guadalcanal, uh, USS Pensacola set course for the Solomons to screen Saratoga, Hornet, and Wasp to support uh, the Marines who were storming the Guadalcanal. And as a result of the submarine-infested waters, torpedoes damaged USS Saratoga and sank the USS Wasp, unfortunately. And Pensacola arrived at Naumea, New Caledonia on September 26th and departed with USS Hornet on October 2nd to strike the enemy in uh, the Santa Isabel Guadalcanal area. On October 24th, Wasp's task group joined USS Enterprise and the combined force steamed to intercept enemy warships approaching Guadalcanal. However, the USS Enterprise managed to locate these ships on October 26th, and the Battle of the Santa Cruz Islands was fought thereafter. And this was fought without surface ships ever seeing each other. Uh, it was strictly a carrier battle, and one which the Japanese lost. The Japanese carriers Zuiho and Shokaku uh, were heavily damaged, and they sank the Japanese light cruiser Yura. Uh, bomb hits also damaged the Japanese Congo-class battlecruiser Krishima, uh, as well as lightly damaging some other Japanese ships, forcing a retreat. It was USS Pensacola that helped fight off a coordinated dive bombing and torpe torpedo plane raid, which damaged the Hornet so severely that she had to be abandoned. And within minutes of the attack, 24 dive bombers dropped 23 bombs in a run on USS Enterprise. Despite the damage, uh, the famed, quote, Fighting Lady, which was a nickname for the USS Enterprise, launched a large number of planes from the Hornet besides her own. And this is because some of the planes that were... Uh, Belong, or that belonged to the USS Hornet were coming back as the USS Hornet was abandoned and torpedoed by, or abandoned and scuttled. Uh, so they decided to land on the Enterprise, further bolstering the Enterprise's uh, strike group. USS Pensacola took 188 survivors from USS Hornet on board and uh, disembarked them on Nomiya on October 30th, 1942. The task force had turned back a Japanese attempt to regain Guadalcanal, the Sank Yura, which was the light cruiser from earlier, and damaged a, a lot of enemy capital ships, and they had also destroyed 188 Japanese planes, which... I guess is a very successful battle for the U.S. Navy, considering they didn't suffer any loss of ships. Pensacola departed Nomiya on uh, November 2nd to guard transports, landing marine reinforcements, and supplies at Aeola Bay, Guadalcanal. 
She helped guard USS Enterprise during the naval battle of Guadalcanal from the 12th to 13th of November. Uh, planes from USS Enterprise insisted in the sinking of Ahie, or Hai, or yeah, Hai, which was a Congo-class battlecruiser, one cruiser, three destroyers, and 11 auxiliaries, in the damaging of four cruisers and four destroyers of the Imperial Japanese Navy. Uh, so now we go on to the Battle of Tassafuronga. So essentially what was happening here is this uh, force consisting of uh, American cruisers and destroyers was to intercept a Japanese destroyer slash transport force that was expected off of uh, Guadalcanal and uh, sort of by uh, Savo Island and uh, Florida Island. And this was basically just uh, what they called Iron Bottom Sound, and that's because of the amount of ships and planes that would sink there over the course of the war. So the two opposing forces... uh, sighted each other and began to engage and the American destroyers launched torpedoes at the enemy as they became in range of uh, four or five miles so 8.0 kilometers of uh, Pensacola's cruiser formation so you could literally see all the gun flashes and shell tracer and uh, star shell candles in the darkness this is what was lighting up uh, the night they didn't really have many searchlights lighting up anything because you didn't need it you could just see the gun flashes of all the ships so uh, the Japanese had uh, one early casualty, and that was the Takami, or Takanami, yeah, Takanami, which is a Yugumo class, uh, destroyed the Imperial Japanese Navy, which was hit many times, was uh, by early parts of the battle on fire, and exploded. Uh, Minneapolis was the first heavily damaged uh, uh, cruiser of this, or U.S. cruiser of this battle. She took two torpedo hits that blasted her bow downward, uh, sort of like a scoop or in a scooping motion, and left her forecastle deck awash, so water was completely washing over it. But she continued to fight on. However, this immensely slowed USS Minneapolis down, and they were in a sort of a line-ahead formation, so USS New Orleans was right behind her. So USS New Orleans had to take an emergency turn to port to avoid ramming the Minneapolis from behind, and ran into a torpedo that was intended for the USS Minneapolis. And if you've listened to my USS New Orleans episode, you know that in this action, she had her bow literally blown straight off. Uh, That, however, was not the end of USS New Orleans, but uh, Pensacola was actually right behind these ships, and Pensacola had to turn uh, to port to prevent a collision with the two other damaged American ships that were also slowing down. And now she was being silhouetted by the two American ships that are burning so brightly the Japanese didn't even need a searchlight. Um, and so she became, or she came under heavy Japanese fire. And if you remember, this battle is taking place at around five miles, which is right around that range where USS Pensacola's armor stops working against those 127 millimeter guns. Now a lot of the uh, Guns on the Japanese ships were only 100 millimeters, but they were firing so quickly it didn't really matter. They were coated um, or washed down uh, USS Pensacola in a good amount of high explosive shells. And not only were the Japanese launching shells at them, they also launched 18 torpedoes at USS Pensacola, one of which managed to hit her port side right below the mainmast. And this flooded her engine room, which is never good for a ship. So, in addition to her engine room being flooded, she also lost lost three of her four gun turrets, and the, her mainmast was burning like a torch because the oil tanks had ruptured and sprayed oil all over it. So, she was like a glowing beacon in the night. 
Perhaps seeing what had happened to these three cruisers, USS Honolulu uh, maneuvered radically at uh, close to her top speed of 30 nautical miles an hour, or knots, um, and continued to fire upon the Japanese destroyers. However, USS Northampton did not apparently see what had happened to the three other uh, U.S. cruisers and took two two torpedo hits as she was sailing in somewhat of a straight line and basically emulated what happened in the U.S. or in the USS Pensacola case, except on a larger scale. The oil-fed flames of USS Pensacola's main deck uh, began to start to ignite the ammunition stowages, so the ammunition in the turrets began to explode. So it was just a bunch of really loud bangs continuously as each shell exploded. Um, and uh, this was this primarily happened in number three turret, which was pretty bad because that was the turret with three gun or one of the turrets with three guns in it. The fire lasted for 12 hours before it was finally quenched, and she was still on fire as she arrived in her uh, in the uh, I guess the sound that they were going to uh, stay in away from the Japanese to hopefully get their ships under repair. So she basically limped her way into to uh, toology. I think it's toology. Um, and it was still aflame when she arrived there, as I said. And amazingly, her dead only numbered seven officers and 118 men, which, for a situation that bad, I was expecting most of the crew to have been dead. But um, one officer and 67 more men were injured in the engagement. If you remember my uh, USS New Orleans episode, I said that USS New Orleans was camouflaged as part of an island while they made emergency repairs to her bow to get her seaworthy again. Yeah, that's more or less what happened to the USS Pensacola as well. They camouflaged her, putting, like, palm trees and stuff and leaves on her to try and uh, make her look as much part of the island as they could. And then they made repairs in that harbor until they were able to steam to Espiritu Santo on the New Herbrides Island. She arrived there on December 6th for emergency repairs by everyone's favorite repair ship, USS Vestal. Uh, which was this ship, if you recall from my uh, USS Arizona episode, that was uh, moored alongside USS Arizona during the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, she sailed on January 7th via Samoa to Pearl Harbor, arriving there on uh, January 27th, 1943, uh, for more permanent repairs to be conducted on her. On November 8th, Pensacola sailed from Pearl Harbor uh, in the screen of the Southern Attack Force aircraft carriers. On November 19, 1943, USS Pensacola made bombardment runs on uh, BTO and Tarawa, or Tarawa. Uh, she rained over 600 projectiles on coastal defense guns and put them on action, as well as destroyed enemy beach defenses and numerous uh, enemy buildings. And then their troops stormed ashore on tar- uh, tar- Tarawa, excuse me, on uh, the 20th of November, the sc- cruiser screened the carriers launching airstrikes to support the landings. That night, she fought off Japanese torpedo bombers and assisted USS Independence in f- uh, Fun- Funafuti in the Ellis Islands. For the next two months, she would escort convoys out of the Funafuti port, and then she, uh, on January 29th, 1944, she began strikes and bombardments to destroy the Japanese air power and shipping in the Marshall Islands. And uh, that night, Pensacola helped bombard Taroa in the eastern Marshall Islands. She also shot shells into airfield runways, seaplane ramps, ammunition stowage areas, and uh, buildings on Wuchi. Uh, She continued pounding these targets with as many shells as possible as uh, U.S. Marines and Army troops landed on the 31st of January to seize Koala Jin and uh, Marjo Adels. 
the invasion of the Marshall Islands continued into the February 1st as Marines occupied Roy and Namur Islands. So they're really kind of knocking down these islands pretty quick. Pensacola continued to shower Tarora and Malolap Atoll uh, through the 18th of February, uh, which destroyed coastal defenses and air bases, uh, or more, even more coastal defenses and air bases in the eastern Marshall Islands. She operated from Marajano and Kuala Jin to continue patrol in the approaches of the Marshalls, just in case the uh, Japanese decided to do anything cheeky and take them back. She screened uh, fast carriers conducting raids on the Caroline Islands against the Japanese and against the Japanese defenses at Paalu, Yap, Ulithi, and Waliai. Or Waliai? I, I give up on this pronunciation. Waliai. Eh, good enough. It's uh, just a small atoll in the uh, Pacific. Pensacola departed Mergyro on the 25th of April and sailed via Pearl, Pearl Harbor and Mare Island. Uh, for duty in the North Pacific, uh, most uh, prominently in the Aleutian Islands or Alaskan waters, somewhere around there, um, arriving in Kuak Bay on the 27th of May. On the 13th of June, she joined her cruiser destroyer task force in raining destruction, uh, death and destruction, on the airfields of Mutz, or Matsua in the Corellis. On uh, the early morning of the 26th of June, she fired over 308-inch projectiles to destroy shipping, airfields, and installations at Kar- Karabuzaki, uh, Permushiru 2, Corellis, and uh, returned to Kolek Bay uh, by the 28th of June. Pensacola continued patrol in Alaskan waters until departing Kolek Bay on the 8th of August for warmer waters in Hawaii. Pensacola arrived in Pearl Harbor on the 13th of August and put to sea uh, to go to the Marianas. Uh, But on the 3rd of September, she stopped at Wake Island to bombard it with her 8-inch shells again. On October 9th, she was again shooting at things, this time on main radio station installations at uh, Marcus Island. Uh, She and her sister cruisers and destroyers stirred up a fire melee in their impersonation of Halsey's 3rd Fleet to lead the Japanese... uh, and th- th- thinking the, the ladder of islands into the Bonins was the next American timetable for invasion. However, uh, cheeky though it was, Admiral Halsey's units advanced on the Philippines while fast carriers rained destruction on enemy air and fleet bases at Okinawa and Formosa. So essentially what uh, USS Pensacola was doing uh, with some destroyers and other cruisers was just creating a diversion to chase the Japanese away from the, what the Americans really wanted. Uh, which was the Philippines. In addition to raiding the Philippines, they also raided Okinawa and Formosa. Pensacola made a rendezvous with the units of the Fast Carrier Task Force, retiring from the Great Air Battles over Formosa. After escorting uh, Canberra and Houston to Ulithi, she joined a Fast Carrier Task Group, including USS Wasp, which was the new USS Wasp, on the 16th of October. The following day, troops supported by the 7th Fleet began the liberation of the Philippine Islands, which was a brutal campaign on the U.S. forces. Uh, Japanese resistance in the Philippine Islands was some of the fiercest they had seen in the war. Pensacola then screened uh, fast aircraft carriers striking Luzon and supported the invasion of Leyte uh, beginning on the 20th of October. Then she went north to aid the destruction of enemy carrier force in the Battle of Cape Inaugural. 
um, on the 25th of October, then turned back south as the fast uh, carriers launched planes to aid um, the gallant escort carriers. And this was the battle where the last uh, carrier that attacked Pearl Harbor was sunk. I forget what its name was now. But it was a huge naval battle, one of the largest, or one of the largest in World War II, if not the largest in World War II, and if not the largest naval battle ever, rivaling that of Jutland. However, there was not much ship-on-ship -ship combat; it was mostly just uh, carrier on carrier. But that's why these uh, fast carriers were launching, um, uh, supporting aircraft to the carriers that were already closer and to the battle and uh, taking some damage. Although they didn't really take that much damage. Uh, Pensacola bombarded Iwo Jima on the night of 11th slash 12th of November and returned to Lithi on the 14th. Uh, as she was about to depart for Saipan on the 20th of November, she spotted a periscope. Ooh, she spotted a periscope. You know what that means, right? There's a submarine around here. About 1,200 yards to starboard as she maneuvered to clear um, uh, USS Case, which is a Mayhem-class destroyer, rammed the enemy submarine. Four minutes later, her men witnessed a flame explosion that destroyed the uh, Missinawa, a victim of a Japanese Caton Midget submarine. So essentially what had happened here was they spotted the periscope, and then this destroyer did what was commonly done uh, to, uh, or to submarines that were at periscope depth and came up and rammed it at full speed, sinking it. However, this Japanese submarine had launched a Midget submarine, which at this point in the war was just a suicide torpedo. And the suicide torpedo went and hit the USS Missinoi, which was a transport, pretty much a brand new transport too, and managed to sink it. Uh, Pensacola arrived in Saipan on the 22nd of November to prepare for the invasion of Iwo Jima. Five nights later, she helped splash several attacking Japanese aircraft. And she then went to Saipan on the 6th of December, or departed for it. Uh, and they absolutely flattened Iwo Jima with 508-inch projectiles on uh, December 8th. And then she uh, returned to Iwo Jima, actually docked there on the 24th and 27th, uh, and uh, pounded the mountain gun positions from just offshore um, north of Subachi Mountain, or Suribachi Mountain. So essentially what they did there is... Normally, when you're bombarding shore positions, you're well offshore to try and uh, mitigate the amount of shore batteries that are actually going to be able to hit you. But uh, Pensacola had already flattened those, so she decided to come closer to shore so that they could hit the uh, gun positions that were further up on the mountain. And remember, these the guns of the Pensacola have an extremely long range uh, when compared to the shore batteries, so they can hit things well up the mountain in uh, these smaller islands which means there's really no safe place for those Japanese troops. On the 16th of February, 1945, USS Pensacola opened fire on the northeast sector of uh, Iwo Jima in preparation for the U.S. landings there. And that afternoon, Lieutenant Douglas W. Gandy of the U.S. Naval Reserve uh, was piloting one of the Pensacola's OS-2U Kingfisher float planes and shot down a Japanese fighter. What? What? How do you shoot down a fighter in a plane that's got 130 caliber machine gun on the front of it? Dang, that's 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 some good piloting right there. Considering the Kingfisher is supposed to pilot like a bus because it got it has a really small engine for its size, which it doesn't need a large engine, it's an observation plane. But that makes it a terrible fighting aircraft. And it managed to shoot down a Japanese fighting plane. Oh my goodness. 
uh, or rather fighter, not fighting, fighter plane. But how do you, how do you screw that up as a Japanese airman? That, that I'm sorry, but that guy should have been dead. Hats off to that airman for shooting that uh, plane down, but holy cow, that was a mistake from that Japanese uh, plane. But the next morning, Yusuf Pensacola uh, took six hits from enemy shore batteries, so this shore batteries is the main cause of damage for ships in World War II. And this is strictly because there wasn't much ship-on-ship -ship combat, so it was usually just ship-on-shore batteries. But unfortunately, um, this uh, resulted in the death of three of her officers and 14 men. Another five officers and 114 men were injured as a result of this. So these must have been some pretty big shore batteries that hit the Pensacola. Um, and this was happening as the uh, Pensacola was trying to cover some minesweepers who were close inshore trying to t take care of some mines so that the uh, landing craft didn't strike them and blow up. Ulysses Pensacola then went away for temporary repairs, but managed to come back and just slap the enemy shore batteries with some more 8-inch high explosive, not high explosive, anti-concrete rounds, and uh, harassed them even more in the direct support of the landings, and uh, targeted the shore batteries that managed to hit USS Terry, which was a uh, Fletcher-class destroyer uh, amidships, and destroyed them, then helped the Terry's... Um, uh, wounded and then resumed uh, bombardment support for the advancing marines continuing into March 3rd. Uh, she arrived in Lithia on March 5th, assigned to Task Force 54, and put to sea on March 20th to support the invasion of Okinawa, which was the last stepping stone to Japan. On March 25th, Pensacola bombarded enemy defenses and covered operations of minesweepers preparing the way for the Okinawa invasion landings. Again, just kind of same procedure. Uh, bombard the, uh, or provide a preliminary bombardment, just take out some of the, the uh, or enough of the shore batteries that the minesweepers can get in there, usually under the cover of darkness, and then take out those mines so they can come closer, bombard in some more take out some more mines, bombard them some more, then take out the rest of the mines, and then uh, launch the uh, landing craft, and then um, keep bombarding while these troops are just trying to get a beachhead established. And on the 27th of March, when USS Pensacola was conducting routine bombarding procedures, uh, some gunners spotted a deadly metal fish on her port quarter. And there was another one that was streaking towards the ship from dead astern. So essentially what was happening is there was two torpedoes that were coming directly at the ship. It was a bad uh, torpedo job by that Japanese submarine captain because um, it's really easy to avoid, or I guess not easy, but easier to avoid those than something coming directly at the ship from uh, at like a 90 degree angle to the beam of the ship. So uh, her 40mm Orlikan gunners uh, opened fire on the torpedoes to try and get them to detonate uh, before they got near the ship, but to no avail. So USS Pensacola went uh, hard to port and then hard to starboard to try and get, so kind of just, like, I guess, parallel parking in between the um, torpedoes. And it was some uh, torpedo beats is what it was, you know, World of Warship-style torpedo beats, because the first torpedo missed her starboard quarter by less than 20 feet, and or that's 6.1 meters, and then the second passed some 20 yards along the port side, or 18 meters, of the cruiser, and the gunners found a periscope, and so they opened fire with some automatic weapons to try and uh, destroy it, but they couldn't, and it escaped. 
USS Pensacola gave direct bombardment support to the initial invasion of Okinawa on the 1st of April and continued to fire upon enemy targets until the 15th. Then she sailed via Guam and Pearl Harbor for her home, and she arrived on Mare Island on May 7th for an overhaul. Uh, she sailed on the 3rd of August for Adak, Alaska, and that was where she was when hostilities ended. So essentially the war ended when she was in Adak, which is a small island in Alaska. Uh, and then on the 31st of August, she sailed with units of Cruiser Division 5 en route to Umnato, uh, northern Honshu, Japan. Um, and then she anchored in the outer har- harbor of Umnato, on the 8th of September, and just kind of sat there for a little bit, and then uh, departed Umnato on the 14th of November to embark 200 veterans at Iwo Jima, then went to Pearl Harbor, and then went to San Francisco, on, and arrived there on the 3rd of December, and then put to sea for Apara Harbor, Guam, where she picked up 700 veterans, and then went back to San Diego, arriving there on the 9th of January, 1946. And then that was kind of the it of um, Pensacola's operational duties, but she does have a little bit more to give. USS Pensacola departed San Pedro, um, which is in California, I believe, on the 29th of April to stage with units of Joint Task Force 1 in Pearl Harbor in preparation for Operation Crossroads, which is the atomic bomb tests at Bikini Atoll. Uh, she was anchored off Pearl Harbor on the 20th of May and reached Bikini on the 29th to serve as a target ship. She survived the tests of uh, the 1st of July, and that was the one that was dropped from the air. And then she also survived the one that was uh, uh, detonated below the surface of the water. On the 24th of August, she was taken in tow because she was still highly radioactive from these tests, where she was decommissioned... Wait, they were... Targeting a commissioned ship? Yes, indeed, they were targeting a commissioned ship, although uh, USS Pensacola had been redesignated as a target ship, so she was no longer technically like a, an active unit. And the reason why they were sinking all these ships is because U.S. Navy's peacetime size is kind of small, and they don't need that many people in or to protect the United States in uh, peacetime. Uh, versus wartime, their navy is as big as they can get. Like, as much as they can take, they'll uh, try and get because of conscription, things like that. So they physically didn't have enough men to um, to work these ships. So they decided to sink a bunch of them in experiments. And she was taken in tow to Kuala Jin and decommissioned on the 26th of August. Uh, she was turned over to the custody of Joint Task Force 1 for radiological and structural studies, and on completion of these studies, she was sunk on uh, November 10, 1948, off the Washington coast, where she lies today. And that is the end of the story for USS Pensacola. I hope you enjoyed the historical section of this episode on USS Pensacola. We'll be right back with the World of Warships section. Stay tuned. Welcome back, fellow captains, to the third part of today's episode on USS Pensacola. So, USS Pensacola and World of Warships, which is this section of the episode, oh boy, she's kind of a hot mess. Not the greatest ship in World of Warships, but let's just go over the stats. 
to see that. So she has 31,200 hit points with a torpedo damage reduction of a nominal 4%, which is typical of cruisers. That's not too bad. Uh, she has a light cruiser type hit point um, pool. Uh, my Perth has 27,000 hit points, and this thing only beats it by 4,000. Which isn't that great. Um, and so let's go on to her artillery now. So she has two different main types of main battery guns. Uh, they're the 2x2s and the 2x3s. So there's two turrets of three guns each, and then two turrets of two guns each, with a total of ten guns. They have the same uh, physics, so the reload time is a 15 seconds, which... Ooh, that that that's, feels like a long time. I feel like the ship should have a shorter reload just because of how eh, mediocre it is. I believe the New Orleans has like a 12-second reload. I think it'd be nicer if it had like a 12-second reload. Um, so, But that's not the worst thing about these guns, believe it or not. Um, the 180-degree turn time is 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Just let that thing uh, sink in. Like, here, I'll go over to the Fuso. And let's check what the Fuso's uh, 180 degree turn time is on its guns. I think it's around, let's see, 53.6 seconds. So if you stick expert marksmen on that, your guns on your Fuso will be turning faster than the guns on USS Pensacola, which arguably even over the atrocious armor and other bad performances of the ship that for me was the real deal breaker about the ship is the fact that the ship so easily outturns its turrets these these turrets are very very hard to do anything with the dispersion is actually pretty decent i mean i guess it, it's just an average cruiser it's not good not bad uh maximum dispersion 131 meters HE shell is a 203mm HEHC Mark 25 shell with maximum HE damage of 2800, which is uh, not great because German destroyers, it, armor piercing does more damage than that. Heck, I think Japanese destroyer high explosive has close to as much damage as that. So, I mean, but U.S. Navy heavy cruisers are not known for their particularly good high explosive shells. The only reason why the U.S. system points good at setting fires is because it has a reload time of 5 seconds. It's just throwing as much poop at the wall as you can. Um, yeah, the high explosive shells on all these cruisers, on all the U.S. Uh, heavy cruisers, kind of suck. I mean, and the fire chance is pretty good. It's a 14% fire chance, so yeah, it'll. St but you got a 15-second reload. A Shorn Horse has what, like a 18-second reload with a adrenaline rush and a bit of damage taken. Um, and. <laughs> You could have an armor-penetrating capability of 34 millimeters of armor. So, yeah, you're going to wreck battleships with the penetration capability of your guns, but that's just 8-inch high explosive. Uh, the AP shell is a 203 millimeter AP Mark 19 shell with a maximum AP shell damage of uh, relatively underwhelming 4,600 damage. I guess it is only a Tier 6 ship, but still, that's kind of underwhelming. Maximum range is an abysmal 14.2 kilometers. And this is stock, by the way, because I'm just going over as if you just bought the ship and how to play it. 14.2 uh, kilometers. Yeah, base U.S. heavy cruisers generally don't have the greatest range until you get up to, like, the Des Moines, which is, like, the Tier 10. Um, I know the Baltimore base is around this firing range, and it's, uh, it's not great. Um... The 
Uh, max, uh, the initial AP shell velocity is 853 meters a second, which is actually pretty fast um, for a U.S. cruiser. U.S. heavy cruisers don't have the same arcs as like a Cleveland or a Helena does. Um, the initial HE shell velocity is a standard 823 meters a second, and um, the 823 meters a second uh, will stay the same throughout the entire line of U.S. Navy heavy cruisers. Uh, that does not change when you get up to the uh, Baltimore and the Des Moines and things like that. Although the velocity of the AP shells do immensely, but we'll we'll get into that conversation in a different day. Um, so the secondary armament consists of those eight 127 millimeter, or they're only 25 caliber, huh? 25 caliber Mark 19 uh, shells. They have a range or the reload time of 4.5 seconds. Uh, 1800 maximum damage. Chance of, of causing fire on target is 9%. They have a 21 millimeter armor penetrating capacity. They have a maximum range of an okay five kilometers, actually. An initial HE shell velocity of an abysmal uh, 857 meters a second. Um, uh, AA defense is decent. I mean, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. I mean, the rework has kind of made AA builds not super, like, not super great. Um, they have those eight Orlikans, the four, um, mounts of those 28 millimeter, um, you know, the 28 millimeter guns, I forget what they're called. And then they have those dual purpose 127 mils. Um, and those ones have a continuous damage, 125, um, uh, damage per second. And they have damage by shell explosions of 1,260, which is pretty respectable. Priority sector reinforcement is 50% and the firing range is 4.8 kilometers, uh, for the outer ring. So not too bad. Um, this ship, is fairly maneuverable. I mean, it's not... It's better than the likes of the Baltimore, I believe. Um, rudder shift time is 9.1 seconds. Uh, turning circle radius is 620 meters, which isn't too bad. It's on par with, like, the the Dreadnought battleships. And maximum speed is 32.5 knots, which isn't particularly quick, but it's also not abysmally slow like you see on, like, the Grash Bay. Uh, detectability range by sea is identical to your firing range, so when you're detected, you can shoot at it, but that's true with every other ship. You have no buffer for, <laughs> you have zero buffer for your, um, like, concealment. Like, once you can shoot at something, it can shoot at you, and it can see you, which is one of the worst aspects of the ship. Like, if you look at, like, the Leandre or something, that ship is so fragile, but it's also got, it's a concealment god. It... It can go undetected at sub-10 kilometers. And same with the Perth. Not so with the Pensacola. This ship has an abysmally high citadel. But it can't go undetected if it takes a lot of fire. Even with Concealment Expert, all you're going to get that down to is like 12 kilometers or so. Heck, the Octobreskaya Revolutia with Concealment Expert, or not even with Concealment Expert, cannot spot this thing. It's crazy. And that's a battleship. Yeah, it's detectability range by th is 13.3. I mean, it is Soviet, so you kind of got to give it, uh, the Pensacola a break there. But still, you you can get outspotted by battleships in this thing. And I guess that is kind of realistic because the mainmast is super tall. It's that tripod mainmast that US uh, early U.S. cruisers had. Uh, makes the detectability range to low Earth orbit. Um, but it's just, uh, it's a bad combination. And then, and then there's more bad news where the armor comes in. 
the armor at maximum, it has a 76 millimeter belt. Actually, there's a part of the belt in the forward section uh, that has a 102 millimeter belt, and then there's a 76 millimeter Citadel armor belt. But there's no like spaced armor or anything like that. It's that's straight into the Citadel. You pen the belt, you pen the Citadel. There's nothing like after the belt that's protecting that. And there's only 25 millimeter forward aft, so you can get Citadel from any angle by anything. Larger than 14-inch guns, I think. Yeah, so you can't get Citadel like in Arizona, but all Arizona has to do is just go straight for your superstructure. And that's only 13 millimeters. He'll pen through your deck, which is 25 millimeters, and then he'll pen straight through your into your Citadel, which is only armored with a further 25 millimeters. So with plunging fire, I guess if you're aiming at the ship, because if you're a battleship, you probably should be, because it's an easy citadel. Aim for the center of the ship, uh, like you always do. But at range, it's extremely vulnerable, because you only have to pen through 50 millimeters of armor to get straight to the citadel, which is kind of similar in the North Carolina. I believe in the North Carolina, you have to pen 60 millimeters to get a uh, plunging citadel on it. But, um, yeah, that's one of the worst parts. And not to mention the citadel. Or Well, you might be thinking, well, if the citadel's not well armored, it's got to just be like really low. Mm -mm. No, this thing's got most of the Citadel at... No, okay, so all the Citadel is uh, just above the waterline with some of it creeping out what looks to be like probably about three to four feet above the waterline. And essentially that means that you're vulnerable to be Citadel by anything. Anything with larger than 127 millimeter guns, like, like in real life, I guess. So that is true. Gotta applaud World of Warships being realistic. But um, if they can manage to pen through your, your forward bows, on, uh, they'll have to pen through 25 millimeters of armor, then they'll have to pen through 6 millimeters of armor, and then they get to your citadel, they'll only have to pen through 38 millimeters of armor. And then that's straight into the citadel. Not to mention this thing's guns get knocked out all the time because they're only armored with 65 millimeter plating. So, yeah. And the reason why the detectability is so high is because this, this superstructure is... Um, on the top of the tripod mast with the radar and the kind of like the fire director, um, like lookout point is actually armored. So, uh, the detectability range is calculated by the, or yeah, is calculated by your highest armored point. So it's hard to shoot over islands with this. Cause if they can see that mast, if you, if your enemy can see that mast, they'll be able to see you, which means they can shoot at you. Yeah. So that's the... The poopy part about it. And then, I mean, you can mount defensive AA fire. and You could do that. And then mount a fighter as well and be a temporary no-fly zone for 60 seconds. The problem with that is, after 60 seconds, the aircraft carrier will just come in and poop on you again. And probably get with that uh, Manfred Ron... Or not Manfred Ron Richtofen. The, um, what is it? The Vesser at Tier 6. Especially in the... Um, oh, jeez. What's the Tier 8? Uh, let me check. The Tier 8 German carrier is the August von Parseval. Yeah, the August von Parseval is just going to come poop on you again. Uh, and will easily, easily Citadel you. In fact, he'll probably just take, or he'll take his rockets and Citadel you from the side. He might even, he might even overpen you, which I guess would be good. But, uh, the Citadel is so high, it'll probably catch some of those rockets and you, you're done. So this ship... Uh, it it's it's excruciatingly frustrating and hard to play. I do not recommend playing this ship at all, like for any reason. 
Should you, unless you're looking for like an extreme challenge, yeah, if you want to challenge, heck yeah, go play this ship. This ship is arguably more difficult than the than the Omaha to play. Now, I don't, I'm not sure about more difficult than the Emerald. The Emerald still might hold the cake there, but the Emerald's got a smokescreen. The Pensacola does not. And the Emerald can go undetected. The Pensacola cannot. The problem with the Pensacola is, or one of the problems with the Pensacola is you'll get detected early on in the game, because all the destroyer has to do is go into the cap, get line of sight when you're trying to move forward behind an island, and then you'll be seen. And then you'll be wiped clean from the map, from the map in one swift stroke. I had a friend who was playing this ship, and he had just started the battle, and the carrier had come over, obviously, and spotted him because he had his AA guns on. And this Massachusetts takes a pot shot from 18 kilometers away and just swipes him straight off the map. It was like, I think, less than a minute into the match. So his guns had just reloaded, and he was heading towards this island, and they sank him right away. And he's like, mm, that is about the time where I free XP the Pensacola. And I recommend if you have the free XP too, please... Please, for your own good, for your own, for your own mental health. Uh, this thing, pur they purposely put this in, I think. There's two hulls. Um, please, please, free XP it. It takes, oh, geez, I have, I don't know how much free XP it takes, but, um, uh, it can't be more than probably about 100,000 free XP or so. Just free XP it, please. You're not going to want to play this ship. <laughs> But okay, if you must, if you must play this ship, if you just burnt your free XP buying HMS Nelson or something like that, or that Smallland, or that Alaska that you really wanted, and you, you're forced to play this ship, well, I got one for, word for you. Islands. Islands, 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 islands. Please do not ever, ever, under any circumstances... Take your Pensacola out into open water. That is asking to get deleted. And this is why the Pensacola doesn't... I mean, can you get the ocean map in the Pensacola? I've never seen it, but if you get the ocean map, you're screwed. You are screwed. <laughs> this thing can be played from open water, but it's very, very difficult to do anything. Uh, this thing excels at... I guess one thing it excels at doing, since it does have those 10 guns, is if you can get all 10 guns on target with a cruiser, that cruiser, in maybe two salvos at the most, will be gone. Because these guns aren't that super heavy armor piercing, so they don't really have... They have improved pen angles, I believe, but they don't have that overpen capability. Like, you're not really going to overpen anything with this, so you usually wipe it. But other than that, if you, it, this thing has zero defense against battleship. Doesn't have torpedoes. Doesn't have a smokescreen. Doesn't have good concealment. All it has is these crappy high explosive shells. This thing really needs to be buffed. It really does. It needs high explosive shells with at least probably five thousand alpha damage. Twenty eight hundred is just not enough. I would say, give it like five thousand damage or so to make it playable. Or Buffett's armor, or something like that. The only reason... this I mean, the problem exists with the New Orleans to a certain extent as well. But the New Orleans can't be seen from, from low-Earth orbit. So, like I said, islands, 
try to get to the islands as fast as you can. Um, with Concealment Expert, you can get the detectability down to uh, a not terrible 12 kilometers, I believe. It's, it, 14 kilometers is bad. And then um, if you get the Gunfire Control mod, I think it increases your range to 15.7 kilometers. Woohoo! I suppose that is kind of the range of the uh, Baltimore, too, right around there. So that's that's not too bad for a U.S. cruiser, but it's just hard to play. It's fondly called the Pepsi Cola by its players. Uh, don't know why, other than the fact that maybe Pensacola might sound like Pepsi Cola if you say it with an accent. But uh, it's... <sighs> I, I, I genuinely never figured out how to play this ship. I got frustrated with it after... Let's see, how many battles did I play in this ship? I played a grand total... Oh, I actually played 53 battles in this thing. Trying to d figure this thing out. I, I 53 battles. 53 battles. And I'm not a bad player. I'm really... I'm not, like, an excellent, like, really, really good player. But I definitely hold my own in pretty much any ship I play. And, nah, couldn't figure this thing out. I do have a 53% win rate in the Pensacola, and which which really isn't bad. I believe that's above average in the Pensacola, because the Pensacola is just, it, it, it's terrible. It really is. I, I I don't really have anything more to say for it. 53% uh, win rates, as a 0.66 uh, destruction ratio... I just, I did manage to destroy three enemy ships in one battle. My best damage is fifty four thousand. Yeah. Mhm. Mm My average damage is seventeen thousand. Yeah. So it's not a good ship. And people are like, well, it's just the player. Mm, no, because I did really well in my New Orleans, uh, which isn't that much different. But it's, uh, I play good in a. Okay, ship, but this is just a really hard ship to play. I remember watching the eye chase video on it, and he's like, I don't know how to play this ship. I mean, you can use islands if you... But the problem is, it doesn't have the shell arcs to really shoot over islands that great. I mean, it can. It's, it can shoot over islands, but it doesn't have to be a little bit uncomfortably far away from them to play uh, with said island. Um, and it's uh, only okay at playing open water it's really not actually i would venture to say it's really not good at playing in open water um it's just got zero utility because the problem with or the biggest issue with the pensacola is people know it's squishy and people know it's not a good ship and people know it can be dangerous because it's got its eight inch guns and they know how easy it is to delete so if you get it detected especially um in open water and people have any line of fire towards you you can guarantee you can bet on it that people will start shooting at you in this ship. But that's a little bit of a rant. Let's get back to the <laughs> to review. Uh, so I would install main armaments modification 1 on it. I would install... Uh, well, it's between damage control systems and engine room protection. You might want engine room protection. Yeah, I would say you would want engine room protection with this. If you have a hydroacoustic search modification, yeah, you can do that. Although it might be better saved somewhere else. Aiming systems, uh, I would, I would usually you take that with a cruiser, but you're not going to take that right now. You're going to take the main battery modification too to get that abysmal 
main battery traverse uh, speed down. And then you're going to take steering gears because you're going to get shot at a lot and you need that extra rudder shift time to dodge those shells. And it's uh, and to give the Pensacola credit, it is actually fairly okay at dodging shells. It's better than a Baltimore for sure in that respect. But now let's get on to these commander skills. And I'm going to use the, uh, the new commander skills for this ship. So the Tier 1 skills... Yeah, you can... There's actually quite a few of them you can get. Um, basically, all the ones that it recommends for you. Uh, I would take Grease the Gears, probably, which is essentially just Expert Marksman renamed. It's going to reduce the main battery traverse speed by a further 15%. Um, you could take Gun Feeder, because you do switch ammunition a lot in this ship because of the fact that uh, uh, that that the armor piercing isn't super effective against battleships, but the high explosive isn't as super effective against uh, anything else. So having that 50% reduced reload time is very useful. Um, last stand, you could get it. I really don't see a need in it. You could probably just burn your damage control if your engine ever gets knocked out. I don't really have too much of an issue with that, or at least that I remember in this ship. Um, incoming fire alert could be useful because it tells you when someone's shooting at you, although you probably would know that. So I would choose between gun feeder and grease the gears. For number two, um, it's, I would say priority target. This is my biggest complaint about the commander rework is the fact that they move priority target to a two point skill instead of a one point skill. Uh, you can do AA marksman if you really want that, um... Uh, consumable experts not super useful obviously you're not going to want any torpedoes or spotting plane um buffs because you don't have any of those uh you could get pyrotechnician although that is an only one percent boost and it is already a pretty good fire chance so i don't really see a need in that um uh as for tier three or, or three point skills um you could go with heavy HEA and SAP shells. I re recommend Adrenaline Rush because your reload time is very long and you'll take a lot of damage in this ship, so Adrenaline Rush is useful. Um, heavy AP shells, you could go with that. I would probably recommend going with that because um, of the fact that AP is kind of the main shebang with uh, U.S. heavy cruisers due to their improved pen angles. You could go with Superintendent, although I don't really use it that much. Uh, but I, I guess if you're training for those radar cruisers in the higher tiers, yeah, that's useful because you have an extra charge of surveillance radar. Uh, survivability expert, um, I don't think I'd use that because in the higher tiers, the U.S. cruisers actually have a decent health pool, so it's not going to matter that much. And now for four-point skills, I would really recommend Top Great Gunner. And that's going to in, uh, increase the reload speed of the main battery after an enemy has been spotted within the standard detectability range. Um, since your standard detectability range is basically your base detection range, uh, that that will take effect a lot. And your secondary battery reload time is minus, or has a minus 10% on it. Eh, I mean, that's not going to be used super much, but the 8% reduction in your main battery reload speed is, is going to be used a lot. I, I would really recommend it. Um... You could choose Concealment Expert, although that would reduce the effectiveness of Top Grade Gunner. So for the Pensacola, I don't really recommend that. Uh, you could use AA Gunner, but it's an AA build. Eh. 
Um, if you're going to be sitting behind islands a lot, you might find that um, RPF, radio position finding, I think they call it. Do they still call that? No, radio location. This skill always changes names. Um, and it's going to tell you where the nearest enemy ship is or in the bearing in which it is. Eh, not, I mean, it's kind of useful. More useful for, like, destroyers and stuff. Um, outnumbered is uh, improves the ship's characteristics. If there are more visible hostile ships than allies within the firing range of your ship's main battery, it, it, it can be useful. It, it, it can, um, especially if you're on the flank that's uh, the holding flank rather than the pushing flank. Uh, it's going to increase the max or decrease the maximum dispersion of your main battery shells and increase your ship speed. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you could. I would really recommend going with grease the gears, priority target, adrenaline rush, heavy AP shells, uh, top grade gunner, heavy HE and SAP shells, which is going to increase the damage of your main battery HE shells. But it's also going to increase the detectability of your main battery by or, or detectability of your ship by 15%. So yeah, yeah, that one's so-so. But that's my build. So just again, increase the gears, priority target, adrenaline rush, heavy AP shells, top grade gunner, possibly heavy HE and SAP shells, and then if you have extra points, I didn't add up the points gun feeder that's that's how i'm gonna do it uh as for um as for signal flags for this ship i would recommend to put juliet charlie india yankee so juliet charlie is gonna uh, eliminate your the risk of your magazine detonating india yankee is gonna reduce fire extinguishing time um yeah, that's sort of it. India X-ray is going to increase the uh, percentage or the chance that you start a fire on an enemy ship, which is pretty useful. Um, November Echo set to seven is going to increase your AA damage by five percent. Um, and you can also run Victor uh, Lima, which is going to increase the chance of uh, your your main battery causing a fire. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it there. You can run your economic signals, of course, and then pretty much any, any camouflage you want. Although, if you're going to run one of those basic camouflages that just provides, um, that has no economic bonuses and just provides a benefit to your ship's, like, detectability, I really recommend just running the Type 2 because it increases the dispersion of your, uh, of shells fired at your ship. Um... Because reducing your detectability range by C by 3% is not really useful in a ship with a 14-kilometer detection range. Uh, so just the ship. Really, um, free XP if you can. If you can't free XP, then islands, 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 islands. Find those islands, sit behind them, watch the cat provide support for your destroyers, stay away from battleships whenever possible, and if you must shoot in open water at battleships, do the hippie-hippie shake. You better kite, and you better do the hippie-hippie shake. You better try and dodge those bullets as best you can, because once it hits you, assume it's going to do full citadel damage, because that's probably what's going to happen. Your armor is not going to do anything for you, so may as well just forget it's there. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode on USS Pensacola. I loved making it. Although I don't love the ship, I do love making it. And uh, don't forget to send any questions or suggestions for future episodes to my email, which is rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out my uh, merchandise, which is linked in the description. And also don't forget to... uh, check out msg 2007's uh youtube channel i'll leave a link in the description to that uh quite a nice youtuber and if you can support a small youtuber that is always nice to do and i'm sure he will appreciate the views anyways there may be some special content coming in next episode but we'll see if that actually works out and until next time captains (laughs) 